Spring training is right around the corner. So come for the games and have a ball in Arizona. With world-class resorts, unbeatable dining and nightlife, amazing scenery, and endless outdoor adventure. Make your visit unforgettable. Plan your getaway at myspringtraining.com. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about uh, the weekend racing or non-racing as the case may be. Um, joining me in the studio, Seth Eggert, Richard Uden, and Louise Torres. Fellas, how we doing tonight? Doing well. Good, thank you. Good, Good to be back with a much better mic than two years ago. Yeah, yeah, you sound good, man. Good to have you back on, Louise. So, uh, uh, again, a lot. There's more schedule news, more cancellations, and more i racing and e racing, and and there seem to be more and more of this. But uh, interesting story I read. Um, Bubba Wallace uh, had a real world sponsor drop him over a tirade in the i racing game. <laughs> or get he what he got mad and quit the race or whatnot. So Seth, you wanna you wanna shed some light on that because uh, I think that's uh that's kind of funny. While we're just simulating racing here, we have real world consequences. Well, the Food City Showdown was this past weekend. Uh, the E NASCAR I Racing Pro Invitational was at the virtual Bristol Motor Speedway, and. In Bubba's defense, you could tell that there were a handful of drivers that were not taking uh, this event seriously. Granted, it's meant to be entertainment in one sense, but at the same time, it you have drivers like Bubba, drivers like Landon Castle, Dale Jr., Garrett Smithley putting hours upon hours of practice and testing to actually get good at, in this. Then you have drivers like Clint Boyer uh, going and laughing about wrecking Bubba in the race uh, nine laps in. And in one wreck, Bubba received 12 incident points, which iRacing delves out incident points based on whether you spin, that's two. If you hit the wall, that's two. And if you hit another car... It ranges from zero to two to four, depending on how hard you hit the car. Uh, essentially, it caused enough damage that Bubba uh, 
got pissed off, stopped the car, and left the session. His sponsor, Blue Emu, which has sponsored Richard Paymore Sports for 15 years, uh, abruptly decided to drop Bubba and drop RPM after that incident. Uh, they are also sponsoring Landon Castle, who is drive, who drives for Morgan Shepherd, uh, and Shepherd Racing Ventures, and they desperately need a sponsor. So it should be interesting to see how that turns out. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so now at the end of the day, it was uh, was it Young William Byron that won this race? Am I correct? Y- yes, William Byron won after dominating the race. He led. Uh, 116 laps of the 150. Uh, yeah, John Hunter Nemechek finished second, Timmy Hill third, Denny Hamlin fourth, and Matty Be- Matty Benedetto fifth. Of those uh, five drivers, four of them are veterans on iRacing: Byron, Nemechek, Hill, and Hamlin. Um, Matty Benedetto is relatively new, but he's actually been putting time and effort into practicing and learning iRacing. Then you have some other drivers like Michael McDowell going back to the this incident points uh, system that iRacing has in a normal race. If you get six, uh, uh, seventeen or more, you get a drive-through penalty. If you get twenty-four and, and, and in, or more, in a real race, you uh, your car is banged up. <laughs> well. I'm talking the official iRacing races that actually count for points and essentially that people are paying for to run. Right. Now, is this is there prize money at stake on this uh, stuff that uh, NASCAR is doing these pro invitationals? Because uh, I or, did notice this past one was uh, it was not on Fox Sports One, but it was on straight up Fox. It was on it was on network TV. So there's so there's some money behind that. So is there is there is there actual prize money for the participants in this right now, or is that uh, kind of unknown to the, for, us, the public? For the pro invitational, no. Uh, for the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series, that's the one that runs on uh, every other Tuesday that's streamed live on Twitch, on Facebook, and on YouTube. In that one, there is a $300,000 prize at the end of the season, and at the big events each or throughout the season, so the season opener at Daytona, what would be their version of the Coke 600, would be their version of the Southern 500. There are uh, prize money in those races. Interesting. Now, have there have there been some of these technical glitches on the, these NASCAR ones? I know that the uh, IndyCar's first one there, they had a couple of glitches. Uh, uh, I want to say Hinchcliffe uh, was a had problems with his internet or whatever, and got booted off. Or, uh, or have well, there, have the any incidents like that in any of these other ones? Well, in this uh, one that just happened this past weekend, uh, Eric Jones, his internet uh, essentially dropped him out of the session uh, 14 laps into the race. And he was never able to get back into the race. So, okay, so these are, yeah, these are all it, kind of kind of new kind of situations that we're not used to uh you know, you you going through the going through the finishing order, reading the box score, and uh, you know, is this you know reason you know reason somebody dropped out, uh, no internet. So, <laughs> well, uh, 
Tony Kanon in the IndyCar uh, challenge this past weekend actually had a different issue. Uh, when he pitted for the second time, uh, there was a glitch on iRacing's and that it wouldn't drop him off the hydraulic jacks. So no matter what he did, he couldn't leave the pit stall. Oh, well, that's a bummer. That's a bummer. So, all right, so let's uh, let's talk about some real-world stuff or some non-virtual stuff. So um, IndyCar has released a revised schedule uh, where they've added a couple of double-headers. Uh, they, they've, they've turned the Iowa race into a double-header. They've turned the Laguna Seca race into a doubleheader. Uh, they dropped Detroit. Detroit's not going to happen uh, now. Uh, the season, if if all goes well with uh, with the virus and the uh, you know flattening the curve and uh, the stay at home orders here and there, uh, the season is slated to begin at in Texas now, which is in early June. Um, whether or not that happens is uh, uh, remains to be seen. But um, and then they've added another race at the um, Indianapolis road course uh, in October, which is the same weekend that um, the Speedway will be hosting the, um, the eight hour endurance race. Um, so they're trying to salvage uh, uh, a season and have enough, enough races in there to have a meaningful championship. So uh, uh, provided there are no more cancellations, um, it looks pretty decent on paper anyway. So uh, Louise, you follow IndyCar uh, quite cl- closely. What are your, what are your thoughts on uh, the new revised IndyCar schedule? Personally, the, the revised schedule, I think is more cheaper. I I'm, totally understand why they would put Iowa, a third Indianapolis date in Laguna on there to, to kind of make it a championship, make it more intense, just to kind of like build some anticipation because while Detroit, which is one of Penske's big races, considering where it's from, and also Chevrolet's most important race, a street course is just very difficult to to maintain a race day. Look what happened to Long Beach. I wish St. Petersburg the best. They're going to try whatever it takes to make that the championship finale whenever the time will be. But honestly, yeah, it looks I'm, like they're talking mid-October on that one. But but again, it remains to be seen. Although yeah. the in, in October, the weather is still decently uh, pleasant in St. Petersburg, for sure. Yeah. And uh, as far as I was talking, the third Indianapolis date, I think it's a good way to build that Harvest weekend that they're having, the Harvest Grand Prix, because they're going to have, like, the eight-hour sport car event, and there's a decent chance that IMSA could be in there. So it's a worth, a worth your dollar to go to it. Sure, it's going to make logistics like my schedule a little bit more complex to decide if I'm going to do all three Indianapolis races or just the the, the Brickyard and the 500. I think in this difficult circumstance that they're doing a phenomenal job trying to accommodate what everyone is possible. But for now, if Texas stays as the season opener, you're talking about a big one with the with the arrow screen on an oval. You're going to create some bust because let's face it, as long as Detroit has been here, it's produced some good races. But when you when you look at Texas as the possible season opener compared to another potential season opener in Formula One, it's a night and day difference. You're going to have some unpredictability now. I think that could bring a lot of eyeballs to follow the IndyCar campaign. Certainly, yeah. And then the whole thing you've got you've got some uh, uh, we've got a really nice rookie crop this year, uh, and imagine their first time in competition at Texas. You know what I mean? Texas, Texas can be a real nail biter 
Um, and uh, these guys are first race, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see again. Um, you know, I'm only I'm only cautiously optimistic that, uh, that that everything in the world will be be fine enough by early June to uh, have a race in Texas. But uh, I mean, if they pull it off, it'll be interesting. So uh, now, also, now, yes, uh, Seth, I you were going to come to me about NASCAR. I take it. Yes, because I the uh, Martinsville is still on the books. I believe at right? the it's moment not, not uh, there's yeah, but I do know uh, the, uh, I've got family that lives in Virginia and I think that their, uh, they have their a, stay, at, stay at home order extends past the date. It extends to June 10th, I believe. Right. Uh, yep. There, there are four contingency plans I've heard uh, as of right now. Uh, NASCAR hasn't uh, explicitly said what they're doing as of yet. One plan would be to start or restart the season at Martinsville. Uh, another plan would be to start with the or continue, I guess, would be the better uh, wording at the Coke 600. Uh, another one would be having a double header with IndyCar continuing the season starting at Texas. And then there was a fourth one, which I believe it said a uh, 15 week. Uh, delay essentially and i believe restarting the season at sonoma and which would cause the season to end in december so they would what are they going to attack races on the end that uh, were dropped off in the beginning is that their plan it, it, de- it depends on which plan to go with if they go with the first two plans you would have double headers more likely at dover and michigan you would have Midweek races at Kentucky, at Atlanta, at Homestead, and a couple of other tracks. And then you would have a few tracks actually move from where their current date is, like Kentucky, to a different date for logistical reasons. If they go with the latter two options, which is start uh, doing a doubleheader with IndyCar at Texas and or uh, continuing the season at Sonoma, they would tack on the races at the end of the year. You know, it's almost as if, you know, everyone was against the NASCAR IndyCar double header, right? And we've already kind of got one with the Brickyard uh, scheduled, and now we're looking at having a, another possible one there. Uh, it just seemed like, you know, just the, the current climate in the world with everything that everyone's trying to work around is is just about, you know, we're just about having to force the issue there. And it's, it's kind of nice to see that coming from both sides. There's there's some agreement that they can make this work because everyone for years has, has had every, every reason why it won't work. And, and now we're going to find out um, if it will or, or that it will. Not to mention uh, another one that's going to be interesting is Iowa because IndyCar has turned that into a doubleheader. So you're going to have the IndyCar race uh, on Saturday, uh, or well, yeah, on Saturday, followed Friday by and the Ar- or, Yeah, you're right. On Friday, with the ARCA race Friday night and the IndyCar race Saturday night, and then you might also have to have a doubleheader there with the. Uh, it's Finney series because their first date might get postponed as well. Let's be interesting how how much racing we're going to have come. You know, once we 
you know, once we reset the earth <laughs> and, and uh, another back to normal, we'll have the race going to be so compact. And, and another one that I'm going to throw out there that might end up being interesting as well is mid-Ohio because... Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Spring training is right around the corner. So come for the games and have a ball in Arizona. With world-class resorts, unbeatable dining and nightlife, amazing scenery, and endless outdoor adventure. Make your visit unforgettable. Plan your getaway at myspringtraining.com. Right now, Xfinity and Arca are scheduled to be there after the Coke 600. If NASCAR has to delay until Texas, those races are going to get postponed, and they might also have to be put with IndyCar later in the year. That will be interesting, yeah. So, now, Richard, Formula One, the, the latest cancellation was <clears throat> Canada? Correct, yeah. So that leaves... If nothing uh, else is canceled, Paul uh, Ricard. Paul Ricard as the the perhaps the season opener. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah. Paul Ricard as the first race, which is a great place to start. Oh god, that that track gives me headaches just looking at it. So yeah, <laughs> snooze fest. I think is the uh... yeah, yeah. Uh, Louise is saying that uh, Xfinity's at Loudon on the 18th of July, so Xfinity won't be with uh, Andy okay. cars at Iowa. Uh, unless. So. Unless they completely rework the schedule, which is one of the things they might end up doing. I think there's yeah. going to be a lot of a lot of schedule reworking. So now, Richard, are there any any plans to add add back any of the the missing Formula One races? Or I don't know what the yeah. I mean, they keep talking about them. I really don't know. It's trying to shuffle it all in. You know, when they were missing a couple, they're like, yeah, okay. But uh, Monaco and Australia have definitely been cancelled. So we're down to twenty races or whatever it would be now. But, uh, yeah, it, it, they're, they're taking a hit, that's for sure. Uh, and uh, they've announced yeah. also Le Mans is canceled till next year. Yeah. Yep, so that, that was the next one. That's, and that's in July. So you yeah. Figure, so that's in France in July. So they're, they're, folks in France are feeling like they're not going to be ready uh, to race in July. So, and that's going to well, be I think, I, I think the French Grand Prix. The Fr- I think probably organizing the French Grand Prix is slightly easier than Le Mans. Le Mans is quite an undertaking. So, uh, I wouldn't read too much into that. What I have to do because of the dr- driver schedules with Le Mans being... Yeah. yeah, I think it would be driver schedules, a little bit of the logistics, because they would probably start getting set up in, what, May, if not early June? So, them, yeah. and so all the testing and all the, you know, there's so many. Yeah, I mean, the so, a huge undertaking. So just based on all of that, the driver schedules, the various teams that uh, normally would be running, whether it's IMSA, uh, WEC, uh, yeah. European Asian Le Mans, etc. Yeah, yeah. uh, between all of that, uh, 
there's some that might not even be able to make it there, depending on what the situation in their home Shuttle. country. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. yeah, I think yeah, the international. As I, I want to say, that Formula One, as well as uh, you know, the WEC is in a, a different bit of a, a situation than some of the United States-based series. When you talk about all the international travel, and certainly there are places in the world that that are hit a lot harder. Uh, with this virus than, than we are in the States. There's certainly there's places in Europe that are just uh, devastated. Now, Italy Italy is really having a high death toll and, and whatnot and having a lot of issues there. As so. is Spain, yeah. And Spain, yeah. Yeah, so. So when was the last time Le Mans was canceled? Oh, good grief. Or postponed? That's, uh, I think World War Two. Yeah, I mean, a lot of... Interestingly enough, I was just... I was watching the program the other night. And I, I was telling you about this. It's called The Racing Years. I was yeah. watching that. And evidently, Le Mans was, was postponed. It 55? 55? Well, Le Mans... Maybe, well, 55 is when they had the accident, right? Yeah, that was it, yeah. Yeah, that so was... So, 56 so, 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 19... In 1969, Le Mans was postponed until September because of student uprisings on campuses, they said. It's understandable. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, because that's the, the late sixties were a bit of a tumultuous time as well uh, yep. for a lot of folks. But I had just, uh, you know, it's happened. I was watching that program that uh, you know chronicles, uh, you know, uh, European racing year by year, and I was watching the, the episode on nineteen sixty nine, and they'd mentioned that Le Mans was pushed to September, and I something I didn't know, so uh, because I was two at the time and I didn't remember. Oh come on, get your for oh jeez, oh, would have remembered. <laughs> I would not remember if I would have learned about it. Yeah, Seth's like Pepperidge Farm. Pepperidge Farm remembers? So, <laughs> no, no, uh, no. So, man. Richard, let's talk about the financial, uh, financial side of Formula 1. There's some talk that there, um, as many as four of the teams may just have to fold and go out of business um, <laughs> if, they don't, if they don't start like racing to. soon. You'd like to think that the governing body would step in and and and, and make sure it doesn't happen. Whether that's by, um, you know, releasing some of the uh, prize money a little bit uh, a little bit early. I know they've done that in the past to a number of teams. Um, you know, especially when Bernie was in charge and some of the good old boys. You know, some of the you know the old older teams would uh, say, "Hey, you know, Bernie and." You know, end of the year, you know, middle of the year. So, hey, look, you know, can we have some of our, uh, you know, prize money just a little bit early? You know, things are a little bit, a uh, little bit ropey right now. And uh, Bernie dip his hand in his pockets and give them a little bit of a bailout. So, maybe slightly different uh, setup these days with uh, Liberty running the place. But um, I'm, I'm pretty certain that they will do everything they can to prevent that from happening. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly just, I mean, with a lot of stuff shut down, I mean, there's, there are, you know, a lot of businesses that, that are, are not going to survive this, you know, and it's, so it's not yeah. out of the question to think that a race team, which is also a business, uh, we oh, may at the end of the day, yeah. lose a few, certainly, and, you know, I'm not, I don't know how all of it, all of it works, because a lot of it is hush-hush, but you know that, uh, for the most part, sponsors make payments, uh, you know, you don't just say, you know, here's my, Here's my two point five dollars, but usually those those sponsors uh, pay in installments. So I, I guess that uh, if if they don't race, they don't have to pay. And I'm it sure depends that, on the contract. I, I, yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on the contract, but I'm sure some of the smaller teams. And I mean, you know, across the board, not just Formula One, but uh, you know, uh, the IndyCar teams and um, NASCAR as well. That these uh, sponsor commitments are, are hinged, you know, or or 
hinged on the fact that they're racing at a racetrack and if they're not yep. racing at a racetrack so so therefore you you've got where you spent money for your, your car this year and and pre-season testing and these sort of things and now you don't have any income coming in uh you've still got folks to pay you can cut their salaries or furlough them or or you know have those folks collect unemployment there's a lot of uh different things happening here and there but there are businesses i just heard the other day there's a, a restaurant chain um that's it's a smaller one it's like 250 stores logan's roadhouse 260 stores are closing all their stores um because because they know they're not going to make it through the shutdown so it's it's not out of the you know realm possibility that we may have smaller grids once uh, things get back to normal so now yeah. we seth you're in anything out of, out of nascar any teams that are just struggling might not make it hmm. No, nobody. As I know far as... some teams. I know some teams have furloughed their staff. Well, well, the, so, uh, most of the teams have furloughed their staff. But the problem in the Cup Series is with the charter agreement. If you own a charter, you have to run, regardless of whether you have a sponsor, regardless of whether or not you're struggling financially. If you don't run, NASCAR will pull your charter, as it stands right now. That doesn't yep. mean that NASCAR will make any... Uh, they could make exceptions with it being extraordinary circumstances. Uh, that being said, uh, for the Xfinity and for the truck teams, um, honestly, I'd say it's hit and miss. Uh, there's some that uh, are making it... that at least looks like they're going to be okay. Uh, Jordan Anderson is one of them. Uh Austin Wayne himself is one of them. And then there's some that, honestly, you won't know until after uh, everything is said and done. Like maybe a Mike Harmon or a JD Motorsports. Uh, it It's honestly up in the air from team to team. Yeah, like Sam Hunt Racing decided to temporarily shut down. Carl Longs are, from what I understood, they're paying their people quite a bit. And also, there's instances where a lot of people are taking pay cuts. I was gonna bring that up shortly when you were when you asked that question. Pay cuts is also happening. Like I know the CEO of Formula One have also taken a pay cuts. Penske and also are taking a lot of that as well. So it's uh, just a, a lot of variations from time NASCAR, to time. NASCAR NASCAR announced pay cuts. Uh, also, uh, one team that I know that is still you know, staying the course right now is uh, Timmy Hill's truck team, uh, Hill Motorsports. Uh, he is insisting on paying his employees. His, granted, he only has one employee outside of himself, but he is insisting. I was going to say, isn't he just paying that guy and just, you know, beer and sandwiches anyway? No, he's actually <laughs> paying him. He's actually paying him. And mind you, Timmy is not making any money, even doing the iRacing stuff, he's not making any money. So uh, he is trying to figure out how to make it work and how to keep his employee uh, above water, let alone himself. Yeah, so speaking of iRacing, since you brought it up, we forgot to mention the, the big news, the big crossover news. We already had Jimmy Johnson try out the, the IndyCar. And now we're gonna have Dale Jr., one of the one of the 
best, most well-known personalities in all of racing uh, join the IndyCar guys at, at Michigan uh, for the iRace. Now, Louise, you were uh, just very recently doing some research watching old Michigan IndyCar races. So, uh, man, what are your thoughts of Dale Jr. jumping in the ring here? I say for a track like Michigan, which IndyCar have had or hasn't run since 2007, having the most popular driver and now NASCAR Hall of Fame nominee, Dale Earnhardt Jr. in this, I think it will bring some eyeballs. It will get that tremendous crossover that we know it's just not that can only happen in iRacing. So having him in there along with Jimmy Johnson, it brings some tremendous crossover because Michigan International Speedway or Michigan Speedway, depending on how you want to call it, depending on the time period, produced, quite frankly, some of the best racing out there and during the IRL slash kart days, no matter what it was, through the Hanford device days, it's just unpredictable. You will expect some some tight packs, some intense wheel-to-wheel action. Refer to the Fontana 2015 race, you may get something like it. But the difference is with the, with the 2015 cars, the DW12s, and to the current one, you have the aero screen. That's going to bring some unpredictable nature and also get some of those IndyCar regulars some experience how it is because Will Power talked about in the teleconference last Saturday, besides the whole communication ban that he had for saying stuff to Scott Dixon and Connor Daly, that you get some of that aero screen feel with the iRacing. Of course, Power has done it both virtual and in real life when they first introduced it last year. So who knows what kind of tight racing we're going to have, especially with those aero screens and the current car that we have. I, I don't know that I think that the aero screen is a big deal in iRacing. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you're, 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 you're sitting in open air in front of a couple of computer monitors. You're not really in the, uh, in the aero screen. You're not looking through the screen other than... Well, you know, whatever image is generated on the computer. So, and, so I, I don't buy that, Louise. And if I may, uh, I actually have a lot of experience running the IndyCar at Michigan because back when I was writing for iRacing News, covering the IndyCar series that they had, I was a regular in the IndyCar series. And one of my best tracks was Michigan. It, essentially, it is a drafting track a lot you know like how it was in real life but on top of that uh they are going to have to be very careful uh exiting turn four in particular uh, because the car on iRacing at least is known to break loose uh, exiting turn four uh there's been quite a few times where i thought i had a race in the bag and uh, next thing I know, I'm spinning down pit lane. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to watch for sure. Yeah. Um, and and there's a lot of folks uh, like to your point, Louise, that uh, that that would love to have IndyCars cars for real back in Michigan. You know, those are there's a couple tracks that are always mentioned when people start talking about oh, bring back Milwaukee, bring back Michigan, bring back Fontana, bring back Cleveland. Um, but Michigan is always right up there at the top of the list, and they, it, it did produce some really, really memorable races over the years. Yeah, and you do have a point as far as the aero screen. I think I had to double-check real quick. I think what Power was implying and how like the rubber and all that stuff goes through the screen. But yeah, you do have a point. There's a difference from virtual and obviously real life. So what we see on Saturday could be a lot different if the time comes they come back to a track like Michigan. 
Certainly. So now, Richard, are we Formula One still high racing? I know, I know the first one was a bit of a yeah, a bit of a flop. They're using their console game still, but yeah, they're using F one two thousand nineteen. Yeah, I yeah I, yeah I think they did have a race um, in Australia. I think it was. Yep, they that, had uh, one. Charles Leclerc won. Um, George Russell got on the podium there. Yeah, it's all a little. It's still still a little bit of a yeah. Yeah, they got yeah. a bit of ways to go on that regard. I think the big thing takeaway that I got was Charles and Arthur Leclerc having a really positive showing in that one. And I think it was so sudden as well because they, I think what was it, like two days before the race actually happened, that ESPN2 was confirmed they are going to air that. It was fall. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Following the NASCAR race, and after watching that Bristol ordeal, tuning into that one was quite interesting because that like you pretty much got the in-game graphics and of course some of the drivers do do simulation simulating events through f the codemasters game but yeah, yeah it's kind of they kind of had to polish it up a little bit because it seems like they just scramble desperately it's trying just to put not, something on. yeah it's just very bitty and clunky isn't it it's not slick it's not a nice neat product like uh, it needs to be for Formula 1. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they just don't say, you know what, eh, we're going to scrap this because it's all a little bit... Um, we need to get our ducks in a row before we put well, our they, Maybe this. they could just have the F1 guys play Mario Kart, you know. Yeah, I mean, screw That's, that's pretty like fun. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I well, mean, the little... Yeah. Well, some of the F1 drivers, like uh, uh, Max... Uh, uh, are actually on iRacing running the sports cars in uh, the IMSA deal that they have on iRacing uh, because they actually prefer that compared to the F1 console game. So you have some that just are not even interested in participating uh, over on the F1 side right now. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, guys. Well, we've got uh, we've got about a half an hour left, and <laughs> I think we've used up most of the all the racing news but um now um one of you guys did allude to that um the uh nascar hall of fame um nominees were announced uh we had mr dale jr is there this is his uh first time on the ballot i I do know is it uh carl edwards is on there as well and who are the other nominees seth uh the other nominees and mind you they have it broken down into modern era and pioneer era uh, essentially, you have everyone from 19, I believe, 1961 to the present in the modern era, according to the way they're doing it. And that would be two from there. They have one coming from the Pioneer ballot, which that's from the start of NASCAR to 1960. From the modern era, they have Neil Bonnet, Jeff Burton... Dale Jr. and Carl Edwards, as we said. Harry Gant, Harry Hyde, 
Larry Phillips, Ricky Rudd, Kirk Shelmerdine, and Mike Stefanik. From the Pioneer era, they have Jake Elder, Red Farmer, Banjo Matthews, Herschel McGriff, and Ralph Moody. They also have the Landmark Award, which they announced. Usually they announce it later, but they've already announced who the nominees are for that. Uh, Jant Guthrie has returned to that ballot. You also have Alvin Hawkins, who was NASCAR's first flagman. Uh, you have Mike Helton, Dr. Joseph Mattioli, the founder of Pocono Raceway, and Ralph Seagraves, who was the executive that helped uh, the NASCAR uh, Winston uh, partnership. Yeah, you got a lot of really familiar names out there. Like I, when you said Red Farmer, I, I, I'm surprised he's not already in the Hall of Fame. He was he was early early on in NASCAR. He was considered he, one of the greatest race car drivers in the world. Yeah, you know he I mean? has. He was that that dude was really good in his day, and and for for what he was doing, he was he was lightly you know NASCAR's first superstar. And I'm surprised he's not in the hall already. Yeah, he has four championships, uh, three in the late model sportsman, which slowly evolved into what's now the Xfinity series and the 1956 uh, Modified Championship. Uh, If that tells you when he started. And he's still racing today, uh, believe it or not. Uh, How how old is he? uh, Good question, because uh, some say he's in his 80s, some say he's in his 70s. I'm honestly not sure off the top of my head. But uh, you figure he's got to at least be in his seventies. But uh, he is known as the ageless red farmer, and there's a, the running joke is we don't know when he was born because of how long he's been racing. That's interesting. Yeah, so I didn't even realize he was still alive. So <laughs> I have to tell you, but now some of these other names that you brought up, uh, there's some names on there I really like. Harry Gantz. I always had a. Uh, a uh, heck of a lot of respect for that guy. I thought he was uh, not only a uh, a very good driver, but but I always thought he was uh, as 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 a personality and as as a person. Um, I thought he was uh, very approachable. You know, I, I had met him at one point in time. Um, what they used to call him, uh, a gentleman, a handsome Harry. Handsome Harry. That's what they called him. Yeah, but I, I think as a personality, he was uh, he was he was older than a lot of his contemporaries. I want to say he was. Uh, uh, he was he was in his fifties racing against yes. guys in their thirties and whatnot. Yes, and remember and there was I, that that season in the middle nineties where he Mr. Like, September. Yeah, he won won like four races in a row, and I was at the one race, and it was um, in Martinsville, where um, he he had crashed pretty hard, and and they and you know oh that's gonna that's gonna end Harry Gant's streak right here oh he won't be winning again and. You know, with some some you know some hammering and some duct tape, and some creative engineering. Later, he ends up winning that race, missing the whole hood of the car and, and stuff. So, uh, and well, I just, I, uh, just a neat moment to 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 be there and to witness. So, I I have to actually uh, mention that race because and what you said him he swept that whole month of September. The reason why he swept that month, uh, he and his crew chief at the time, uh, they figured out how to stagger the rear tires, which most teams were not doing, if any, at that time. And that 
provided enough grip for him to basically have an advantage over the entire field. And that wreck at Martinsville, even though, yes, it was mainly the front end that was damaged, it damaged the rear end just enough that it pulled back some sheet metal for teams to actually notice the staggered rear tires. Aha, so it gave away the secret, huh? Yes. But either way, you got you got to hand it to that crew on that day. Because I want to say that they, they pitted on like five consecutive laps, right? They're all under yellow, but they, they would um, they go and do a little work and then send them back out to catch the tail end of the field to keep them on a the lead lap. Because you know as well as I do how easy it is to go a lap down to Martinsville. The track's only well, a half, half mile around, so they do a little well, bit of work, I, send them back out and come back well, in and... They they kept him on that lead lap and won the race. Well, to be fair, that was when was that in the nineties or early nineties or ninety three or ninety four? I want to say four Pete the he swept September. Yes, that was ninety one and with Andy Petrie as the crew chief. Ninety one. Okay. I yeah. I don't know if they had a pit road speed limit at that time because no, I that's, well, that's... they had the implementation implemented the whole sticker rule before the speed limit because 1990 was when he had the pit accidents at Talladega. Yeah, so I wasn't sure if that was it. So that was probably when they had that sticker rule, as uh, Louise put it, or they had just started implementing the pit road speed limit. So if it, depending on when it, that race was and with the rules they might have been able to exploit it to stay on the lead lap as well. Yeah, well, they did. The other thing you've got to consider is back then, that's when Martinsville had front pits and back pits, and they didn't have the pit lane that looped the whole track. If you remember, they had front pits and back, back pits, and, and he, yep. was, he was pitting on the front stretch. So it's a, it's a much shorter distance to get back on the track than it is today at Martinsville when you pretty much have to go nearly around the whole track to exit the pit lane. So, because you just you're just going from one end of the straightaway to the other to exit the pit lane. So, so yeah, I, I don't think it could be repeated today uh, to do that much work and stay on the lead lap. But uh, let alone, again, it's, let it's, alone beat the uh, six minute clock. Yeah, well, they didn't have a six minute clock then either. So, but you know, they weren't working six minutes at a time because you know even under yellow, a lap at Martinsville is pretty short. So. Um, and, and, and some, some of the other guys that you mentioned there, uh, Ricky Rudd, it's another, uh, another great personality, uh, in racing. He was, um, a really, I remember him and Rusty Wallace were the, when, when NASCAR first started, uh, adding in, um, the, the road, I know they've always had road racing, but, uh, um, the, the, when they added Sonoma and Watkins Glen, it was, uh, always either Ricky Rudd or, Rusty Wallace that was winning there. Both those guys were were considered king of kings of the road there, um, and he was uh, and Ricky Rudd doesn't he have, didn't he have a uh, a record for consecutive starts as well? Yep. Yes, he did. He was uh, known as the Iron Man for quite a while. Um, Louis, does he still have that record or did Jeff, he, did Jeff Gordon broke it? Je- oh yeah, Jeff Gordon, Gordon broke it. At Loudon in 2015, the fall Loudon race. I know this because they made a diecast of it with the number 793 on the on the door, on the roof. And no, I don't have okay. that one. Okay, and uh, and if I remember correctly, Gordon never failed to qualify for a Cup race. I think Ricky Rudd 
did in his very early days. I know he did in his uh, yes, he did. Daytona, nineteen seventy-six. Yeah, Darlington, nineteen seventy-six. Can you not remember that? Come on, Rusty Wallace only missed one race his entire career. That was when he flipped at Daytona in eighty-three. And Ricky Rudd, if I remember correctly, is also one of two or three drivers in that their first career race was in the Cup Series. Granted, he did a little bit of karting here and there, but nothing professional. His first professional race was in the NASCAR Cup Series. Right, and he was a, yeah. He started in a NASCAR kind of very, very young. I want to say he was only what, seventeen or does that, does that sound right? Yeah, a teenager, eighteen, right, nineteen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was he was he was very young when he started because uh, you know he had <laughs> he had amassed a lot of uh, a lot of starts and a lot of wins. That, you know, at a relatively still at a relatively young age. It's like you know, it's like um, you know when you consider Scott Dixon and uh, as long as he's been around, you know, and the amount of races he's won, you think he'd be a lot older than he is. But he's, you know, Dixon's actually not as old as you think he is. Yeah, Dixon it, it, was, what was he, like 20 when he won in Nazareth for PacWest, something like that? Uh, I think he was, uh, yeah, I think he was 20, yeah, or just a little over 20, because, yeah, Colton Herta had broken the record for the, the youngest winner, yeah, but he yep. was, the, yeah, the, the running joke was, yeah, you, uh, you here's the champagne, but don't drink it, you know, and they did, then they did the same thing with Colton Herta here at Texas last year, so. Yeah, then they accidentally tried, gave him one, and then they didn't realize that. Oh uh, yeah, the, his his and New Gardens got switched. They had the um, the sparkling uh, grape juice, whatever, and then him his and New Gardens bottles got switched somehow. And, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah and, then, and then a lot of people wanted, <laughs> a lot of people wanted to make a big deal about that, and then somebody had to bring up the fact that actually in the state of Texas, right, if you're accompanied by your parent, it's acceptable to to have. Uh, an alcoholic beverage if you're with your parents. And because his dad, Brian Herter, was right there, people said, just stop making a big deal about us, okay? He's actually it's, within it's, the law if he drank champagne. And you know what? It's, it's, it's not like no, he's sitting at a bar getting wasted. He, you know, sips some of that and sprayed the rest of it around. It's just human error on that one. It's just mixed mixed it up. Honestly, you're just trying to find – that's that's the thing. They're just trying to find something that's not a big deal, to be frank. <laughs> Exactly. Yep. Not a big deal. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, who else on this? Uh, now, of the the modern era drivers that you mentioned, yeah, uh, none of those were Cup cha- champions, were they? Uh, no. Other than Kirk Shelmerdine as a Cup crew chief, as, as crew chief, yeah. Which, I, which I am glad. Hold on a second. Which I'm glad they re put him back in the Hall of Fame ballot because last year he wasn't on it. Because I think if it was, if I remember, he had a low amount of votes, kind of like with baseball, where if you have a certain amount of votes that is very low, they just completely take you off the ballot. I'm glad to see that because when you look at crew chiefs, we have Ray Abraham, Dale Inman, to name a few, in there. A guy like Kirk Shelmerdine kind of like embodied the 80s, quite frankly, at a time when you had him, Harry Hyde, Jeff Hammond leading the helm in the 1980s. To have somebody represent that decade is ever so essential because when you look at when you look at it this way with Kirk, he not only, obviously everybody remembers about Dale Earnhardt, but he was also a key contributor of the Flying Aces, which honestly, if one day that time comes, like with do with basketball, they have the dream team, the whole dream team as a whole class, 
I say the Flying Aces should be one of the first ones to be recognized as such as a whole pit team. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Now, for me, granted, uh, I'm not going to you know joke around. We all know Junior's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, I don't think there's going to be anybody to vote against him. That being said, I hope that either Mike Stefanik or Larry Phillips go into the Hall of Fame. Stefanik, we've just lost recently in a plane crash. Uh, He's the winner of nine NASCAR championships, and he won four of those in the span of two years. He won two in the modified and two in... Uh, what's now Arca East. Back then it was Bush North. Uh, and then you have Larry Phillips, who, granted, it, it was more the weekly racing series, the late models, uh, but he has five championships in that series and an estimated uh, 1,000 wins. Yeah, I remember, I remember us talking about him on the show at one point in time, so... But uh, yeah, back to your point about uh, Dale Jr. being a, a first ballot. Now, I was reading some, because you know I, I always tell you this, I torture myself by reading social media comments. <laughs> um, uh, there's, you know, a, a, a little bit of a folks that think, yeah, maybe he should be in the Hall of Fame, but he shouldn't be a, a first rounder. And, and the guy, the comment the guy said, he says, I don't think his career was all that memorable. I'm like, you're talking, he's got, what, two consecutive um, Xfinity, or back then Bush um, titles, Fear, right? Yes. F- 15 years in a row as the series' most popular driver, right? Two Daytona two, 500. Yeah. Two Daytona 500, he's got, what, 29 Cup wins and 24 Xfinity wins? And and now he's a very, very popular broadcaster. I'm like, what more do you want? I mean, it's, it's, career sounds fairly memorable to me. It seems like all some people remember is the slump. You remember he had, he had a slump for a couple of years? It, it seemed like that's all some people remember. That, to be fair. To, his name, to an extent. Uh, to, always the main complaints from those fans who don't think he's worthy. To be fair for Dale Jr., if you were to compare his stats with Ricky Rudd, I'm just using another one of the nominees on the same ballot, Jr. actually has the better stats. If you compare him to Jeff Burton, uh, they're about equal playing field, although Junior has two Xfinity championships while Burton doesn't have any. The only driver who I would say is comparable, truly comparable, uh, on the ballot this year is Carl Edwards, who has one Xfinity championship, 28 cup wins. Uh, but if I remember correctly, I don't think Carl ever won any marquee races did he southern 500 and the coke 600 and the gibbs car okay so he won two marquee races while dale jr won two marquee races in the daytona 500 to me they're almost identical except for the most popular driver and the fact that dale jr once he stepped out of the uh car you know full-time that jr stuck around while carl didn't yeah, and, and the other thing that that other the other neat stat about Junior is that four consecutive wins at Talladega. Yes, you know what I mean. Talladega is such a crapshoot. It's a, you know what I mean to uh, 
to uh, dodge the carnage four consecutive races and win. That's that's an accomplishment. Now, Richard, you're, you're kind of quiet on this Hall of Fame stuff here. So uh, let's uh, let, let's have you chime in. Uh, mm, I, I I saw those comments you were talking about, Frank, about, you know, his career being underwhelming, I think. And th- there is something to it. You know, the guy was incredibly popular, obviously. You know, he was the poster boy for NASCAR since his dad's passing. But you've got to ask, and then this is, you know, who is he? Is he Dale Earnhardt Jr., the race car driver, or is he Dale Earnhardt Jr., Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s son? You know, why did he win all those, pop, you know, NASCAR's most popular driver, like 28 years in a row, or whatever it was? Did he do that because of who he was or because of who he was related to? And that's, and I think... Yeah, that's, you know, that's a good he point. Did a, he had a very good career, don't get me wrong. And, it, you know, those numbers stack up pretty well. But at the end of the day, the guy never won a championship. I don't know what was his highest finish in the standings. I um, finished second once, didn't he? Okay. So, I mean, he's, he's maybe thereabouts. I think but, third was his best season, I third? think, on two occasions. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's good. Jeez, don't get me wrong. But would he have been, for the time uh, that he was, NASCAR's highest paid driver? Would he have been he, you know, the, the guy that brings all the sponsorship in if it wasn't for his father? Um, he was third once in 2003. In 2005, he... Granted, depending on which fan you talk to, uh, if they bring this up, uh, he was fifth, although he did have that penalty for cursing in victory lane at Talladega, uh, which without that penalty, he may have won. Now, now to Richard's point, to Richard's point, the interesting thing is that that's a question that you can't answer, right? Because if if you look at Junior, right? And 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 if, if if you can just disassociate yourself from the fact uh, that his father was a famous race car driver, right? And look at his accomplishments on his own, and and look at his personality uh, on his own. I mean, he's just he's a very likable guy. He's a very oh, sure. very marketable guy. You know what I mean? Oh, with, now would no, he no, have no. been in? You know, the opportunity he was in. You know, obviously he was his first Cup ride was in. Uh, with his dad's team, would he have had those opportunities? Uh, you know, we'll never know. You know, no. would uh, would Michael Andretti have all the cart wins that he has if if it weren't for Mario? You know, Mario, oh, yeah, no, because Michael was Michael was that good on his own. Yeah, with without the um, you know, without the leg up. So, you, but but if you look at Andretti, Michael Andretti as an individual and and, and as a businessman and what he's done. He's incredibly accomplished. He just happens to be you know, Mario Andretti's son, and just like Junior happens to be um, the son of a, another of the most well-known race car drivers in the world. So you really can't answer that because you don't you don't know what what the world would be and, for him. But it, but if you look at his sure. if you look at his 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 merits alone, and I, I mean just as an individual, as an individual, as a person, as as a very a very humble human being. You know what I mean? He's mm-hmm. just I mean, he's he's incredibly wealthy, I'm sure, 
but but he he, he acts like a, you know a buddy you'd have a, have a beer with and watch a football game. You know what I mean? He's, he's just oh, a regular, yeah. just a regular guy. You know, he's got busted oh, up sure. cars in his busted up cars in his in his backyard and stuff. You know, so I don't know. I, I I'm not a, a huge fan, but but I really like the guy. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. He's hey, look, you know, he he's. Obviously, was never as talented as father. I don't think that's being disrespectful to say that. And the guy certainly made the most of the talent that he had. Um, and you would it'd be interesting if in, you know, 30, 40 years time, whatever, when he's sat there with his grandkids and whatever, you know, if it'd be interesting to sort of, and obviously you never get a straight answer to it, but, you know, it'd be interesting to know what he thinks of his career. Um, you know, does he think that his career was forged by himself or forged by the legacy of his father? Um, I think there's a bit of both, and he certainly took advantage of the situation and made the most of it. So he's got to take a lot of credit there. But uh, be interesting, you know. Interesting. I know you'd never know the answer to it, but it's just an interesting thought. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. So now, 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 Seb, you had brought up Jeff Burton. Yeah, another another one on the ballot. That's that's the one that surprises me because if you want to talk about a guy who's career was not very memorable you know i i can't think well, of, uh, you know I, know I know he's won several races and, and contended he, for championships but uh, as somebody that's just stood out as, as as one of the top of his game i mean for me i i, I never felt that with jeff burton do you have a do you have a different thought on that or louise well the, only, the thing about burton is that i think it's more or less from the ambassador standpoint and that's something i wanted to bring about dale jr He's been like a massive ambassador to the sport, not just in the stock car realm, but also just the history aspect and also the sim racing. We're talking about it. He was he and before him, it was Bobby Labonte, which I definitely learned that recently that Bobby Labonte was one of the first advocates for sim racing until Dale Jr. kind of made it more bigger than than it is and more than ever right now, to say the least. Well, with Burton, I think it's more or less that he was kind of like one of the leaders from the driver's aspect, like to an extent, like he kind of like carried the torch to an extent that Dale left behind. He and Rusty Wallace, as far as the, being the guy that would talk about the sport, defended at all costs. But other than that, that's as far as I can go about him. Well, just to add to what uh, Louise was saying, as far as being an ambassador to the sport, uh, I would say the same for Junior that Louise did uh, for Burton. I would add, similar to Junior, he also was one of the first to take a step into uh, the iRacing deal last year. While Junior did it back in 2010 himself as a driver and then later on as a team owner on iRacing, Jeff Burton last year uh, teamed with Parker Klingerman to have their own iRacing team in the NASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series. And they were two, they were essentially one of the first new uh, teams to embrace the idea. They were granted, they were followed by real life teams like Joe Gibbs racing, Ralph Fenway racing, JTG Doherty, Wood brothers, uh, Stuart Haas. But uh, he's all, they're basically leading the charge to a certain point when it comes to certain areas of the sport. So in that aspect, I can see Burton being on the modern era ballot. That being said, is he 
worthy of the Hall of Fame this year in comparison to the others on the modern era ballot? I don't know. Okay, but I I will reiterate that uh, I think all his contributions to iRacing are <laughs> beside the point. It's not the iRacing. Hall I'm of not. Fame. I'm not. I think I think you guys are just way. so starved for real racing that you just talk about your iRacing all the time. So okay, I'll be I'll get to be, I'll I'll be I'll be honest with you. I can't even do iRacing because I don't have the best laptop or the video card for it. I'm basically cover covering that kind of stuff because obviously it's the thing going on right now and also just keeps me active but once it, once we get back to the real world time will tell if I'll, I'll of course I'll still follow it then and there it's just a matter of between Burton and Dale Jr. who contributed a lot more from the virtual aspect I think obviously is, you got to think Dale Jr. because look at Danny Hamlin he got noticed by that from Dale Jr. look where he is right now with three 500 wins and probably now the best, arguably the best rubber grid without a championship that is going on right now. This is true. This is true. So, all right. Well, we've only got a couple of minutes left. So, are there any any other stories out there that we haven't touched on that anybody wants to mention or bring up? Um, a little bit going around in Formula One, where apparently uh, Aston Martin are trying to lure Toto away from Mercedes. Um, obviously, with uh, Papa Stroll, uh, Lawrence Stroll, uh, you know, bailing out Aston Martin and. Force India or Racing Point or whatever they are now will be known as Aston Martin F1 next year. Um, there's just rumours that they're trying to lure Toto away from Mercedes and make him actually the CEO of Aston Martin overall. Um, so that's done wonders for their share price. Um, <laughs> yeah, there have been rumours floating that you know, Mercedes might be getting out of Formula One. You know what I mean? I I don't know. I, I don't. And I mean, if it would, it'd be a massive shock. I mean, you know, they're just surely getting a return with Lewis is a reasonably outside of Formula One anyway, reasonably likable guy and you know everything looks pretty good and, and, and you know they, they, they he, you know he's they sell so I'd be amazed if anything like that happened um, but yeah I mean apparently they're, they're trying to poach Toto and uh, that's obviously had a huge benefit to their um, <laughs> their share price this week um, but then they declined it, and now their share price is tanked. So who knows? But there's obviously <laughs> so little, there you little go, bits, yeah, little bits and yeah. pieces going on. All right. So what do, what do we have on deck this weekend? Indy cars that are racing at Virtual Michigan uh, with Dale Jr. in the mix. Uh, where where is the NASCAR Virtual World? Uh, NASCAR is off this weekend because it's Easter on Sunday. Ah, yes, uh, it is. But there are other races this weekend. Uh, you have the IRX or the iRacing Rallycross uh, presented by Subaru, which will have Travis Pastrana. Uh, there you have two NASCAR drivers that are participating in that. Uh, Greg Biffle and Connor... I'm sorry, uh, Greg Biffle and uh, Ryan Truex. Uh, they also have some IndyCar drivers, uh, Connor Daly, Alexander Rossi. Uh, there's a short course truck series uh, I racing deal on Saturday night after the IndyCar race that also has Rossi and Connor Daly uh, and Biffle for that matter. Uh, also on Friday night at 8 p.m., uh, there is going to be a in I racing series sponsored by Kicking the Tires that I will be running in. Uh, funny enough, uh, 
It's being hosted by Ryan Ellis uh, from the NASCAR Xfinity Series and PR for uh, Go Fast Racing. And there will be several other NASCAR drivers, uh, Cody Ware, Bailey Curry, Joey Gase, some other media members, Toby Christie. And that should be interesting, and hopefully I don't embarrass myself. Yeah, well, good luck with that, Seth. Yeah, I might have to tune in and watch that one. So, uh, oh, that being said, we are out of time. So I want to thank you, Richard, Seth, and Louise. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network and thank iHeartRadio and Spreaker and uh, Google Podcasts, all those folks that carry us. And I want to thank all you folks that tune in and listen to us. And until next week, good night. W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-S-U-B-Z-O-C-O-M W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-S-U-B-Z-O-C-O-M Enter website, enter website, enter website.